It is Tuesday, June 13th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. The 2023 rankings have been live on DraftSharks.com since April. You probably already know that if you're watching or listening to us right now. They've been evolving since then. We've changed plenty on there already, Jared. They're, they're going to continue to evolve because we're in our player profiles process right now. We're through the writing. They are being loaded to the site. And Jared, as part of that, you know, we're all learning even more than we already knew about these players. We're digging into, you know, stats and trends and, and facts that made last season go the way that it did that we expect to affect this season. And that's bound to change the way that we think about a lot of these players, right? Yeah, I've already changed my opinion on a, a few players. And I've only done um, you know, eight teams to these profiles. I know you've done eight. Kevin's done eight. Herms has done eight. So I'm excited to you know get with you guys after this process is done and kind of go, go through all these guys. And I'm sure we'll have some um, probably pretty significant changes to the rankings in the next uh, couple, couple weeks now. Yeah, we already have a plan to get together, to argue about these, to talk about guys who should move up or down. So Check the rankings now. They're live. They're going to stay live all the time. Check them now. Check them again next week and see who has moved. I think that'll be interesting to see who makes the biggest moves. I, one of the things I like about this is when I go in thinking, oh, this guy's got to move and I'm ready to fight for it. And then I say it and others are like, yeah, I agree. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> what do we do now? <laughs> that's, not, that's not fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so – as part of that, we have been talking about some of the tough-to-project units. You know, since we got the rankings up, we've gone through some backfields. We went through AFC pass catchers a couple weeks ago. Um, today, we're going to talk about the NFC pass catchers. And we're not going through every team, Jared. We're just talking about some of the teams that are really tougher to figure out. The, the, the guys that we don't, we don't have as much to go on for – distributing the target share or maybe there's just one new person or maybe it's a new coaching staff it could be a number of factors that that makes it a little bit more of a guess and a little bit less of an educated guess than it is with some other teams yeah for sure and you know that that's what we want to do here is really dig into these teams and figure out you know for wide receivers especially you know where, where these targets are going to go because that's what fuels fantasy points and you know figuring that out is a big key to, to, to you know getting this stuff right if you missed any of those previous shows, like I said, two backfield shows, another pass catcher show, you can check them out on our YouTube channel or anywhere you get your podcasts. While you're there, do us a favor, subscribe, rate, review. We appreciate it. It helps us out, helps us do our thing here. So we're going to dig in right now to the first team. We're going to start with the Arizona Cardinals. And Jared, the big change for them since the projections went live is DeAndre Hopkins finally got released. It wasn't a shock. There, were, there was talk about him moving on. You know, there was trade talk previously. Obviously, that trade never materialized, probably because he was too expensive for what any team would have to give to acquire him and then pay him. But it leaves behind a lot of unknowns in Arizona. The biggest name is Marquise Brown, and he produced last year when DeAndre Hopkins was not on the field because of his early season suspension. Top eight fantasy wide receiver um, across the first six games while Hopkins was suspended. Wide receiver 18 target share over that span. That dropped quite a bit after Hopkins came back. There was a broken foot, but even in just the games where Marquise Brown was actually able to play, wide receiver 39 target share with DeAndre Hopkins around. What do you see for the Cardinals pass catchers going forward? Yeah, I mean, this Hopkins departure is massive. He averaged 10.7 targets per game last year. And if you just look over his uh, three seasons in Arizona, 9.1 targets per game. Um, on top of Hopkins' departure, we have a new coaching staff, 
in Arizona, you know, uh, Cliff Kingsbury out. It's uh, Jonathan Gannon as head coach. He's a defensive guy. And then Drew Petzing as the OC. We, we have no history of his his play calling. So he's a total wild card. And then we have the quarterback situation with Kyler Murray, probably not ready for the start of the season, kind of unclear when he is going to be ready. So just a ton of moving parts here. But again, tons of opportunity up for grabs with DeAndre Hopkins gone. And like you said, Marquise Brown did take advantage of that. 9.6 targets per game for Brown in his eight healthy games without DeAndre Hopkins. If he can come anywhere close to that level of um, you know, volume, you know, he's going to he's gonna turn out to be a pretty nice value for where he's been going in fantasy drafts. We'll see. I think the ADP is probably still adjusting on Marquise Brown. But as long as he doesn't climb into the top, you know, like 25 wide receivers, I think he's he's a pretty nice target based on, based on you know, volume upside alone. Yeah, he's not quite going at a range now where I'm like, oh, I got to get Marquise Brown now before he skyrockets. But he's certainly going at a range where he is fine to grab shares of. And the biggest unknown here is the Kyler Murray situation. And I think the thing that makes the Cardinals so interesting, if so, Kyler Murray is basically being treated by the market like he's a zero for the season. He's way down the quarterback rankings. And you can tell that just there's no talk about the Cardinals because everybody's assuming no Kyler Murray. And if it's Colt McCoy or Clayton Toon, then nobody's really buying into the Cardinals. That's what makes the situation more interesting. If Kyler Murray was QB 14, QB 12, and everybody else was with him, you know, on the value yeah. front that way, this would just be a team to pass on, not pay any attention to. But I think the fact that you can get Kyler Murray very late in drafts makes him more interesting, but also makes stacking his pass catchers with him that much more interesting. Yeah, I'm kind of operating under the assumption that we're going to, you know, miss Murray for the first quarter to first half of the season, somewhere in that range. And that's sort of what our projections are assuming at this point. Obviously, if he, he starts to look like he's going to be back sooner, these Cardinals wide receivers are going to climb our rankings. If, you know, we get bad news on Murray, they might drop a little bit. I just think Colt McCoy is serviceable. Like He's not great, but I think he can keep the offense afloat. The other interesting thing about the Cardinals and, you know, potentially good news for the volume for all these guys, their Vegas win total is four and a half wins. That's the lowest in the NFL. So, you know, the bookmakers expect this to be a really bad team. That's not necessarily good news for the you know fantasy prospects of these guys because we do want guys on good offenses, obviously. But if they are playing from behind a lot, um, you know, there's a chance they throw even more this season than they did last. Yeah, the bookmakers think they're going to stink. The pod makers think they're going to stink as well. So it certainly factors in to the passing volume upside. You know, beyond Marquise Brown, Rondale Moore's still there. Are we betting on the talent with him? Greg Dortch returns. Is he the main slot guy? Or is rookie Michael Wilson the wide receiver three on the outside? Those are the kind of questions that we're going to have to wait and answer throughout the summer and then help us figure out how to spread things around here and what to expect from people. Yeah, Rondell Moore is still interesting to me. And obviously he's had trouble staying healthy, even going back to his college days. Um, but we got seven healthy games from him last year. He averaged eight targets per game on a 23% target share in those games. Now, none of those games came with both Marquise Brown and DeAndre Hopkins. I think Brown missed the first three and Hopkins missed the final four. Maybe it was vice versa, but, but again, you know, he's not going to be dealing with DeAndre Hopkins this season season. So I do think, you know, a target share around like 20% is possible for him. Um, I'm curious to see if, if more plays in two wide receiver sets, right? Cause he is small. Um, he has been used mostly in the slot. So is it going to be Ronda Moore opposite Marquise Brown in two wide sets? Or I think Michael Wilson has a chance to be that guy too, because he's the only one of these Cardinals wide receivers that has any modicum of size at all. Um, you know, he's Michael Wilson is um, 6'2", 213 pounds. Um, so he has the, you know, body type to be that, you know, prototypical outside wide receiver. So, you know, Wilson wasn't a rookie I was super excited about 
but I do think, you know, after the Hopkins release, there's a chance that, you know, Wilson is basically a full-time player for the Cardinals this season. And that alone would make him, you know, someone worth, you know, maybe taking shots on in the very last round of your best ball drafts. And certainly nobody behind Marquise Brown has enough established in the NFL to say, yeah, this guy is definitely the one to bet on. Rondell Moore, you'd like to think he's the second best wide receiver there. He was an early second round pick just a couple of years ago, has played some on the outside, looks like a slot guy, but you know, ultimately I would think coaches would pick their best two receivers as opposed to saying we need somebody who's tall, even though that other guy is better. Um, so we'll see how that sorts out. It's going to be something to watch through the summer. Certainly something that's going to be updated in shark bites as we get practices to evaluate the tight ends are also interesting here. And there's also an ACL question on that front. Zach Ertz is coming off an ACL tear. So we have to see if he's going to be ready for the season and whether he is, is likely to have a big impact on whether Trey McBride is a worthwhile fantasy contributor in his second season. I, I kind of hope that we either don't get Zach Ertz to open the season or like he gets traded to some team that has a tight end need and can afford to give a frivolous draft pick for somebody that might help them because Trey McBride profiles well, if he gets the opportunity, he was uh, dating back to high school. He's a multi-sport star. Um, he was a high volume receiver over his final two years at Colorado state. He won the John Mackey award his final year in college, top tight end in FBS. So he has enough talent to be a factor and certainly a tight end like that can be a key target for whomever the quarterback is, you know, whether it's Kyler Murray who has obviously more explosiveness to him or it's somebody more limited like Colt McCoy or Clayton tune, which we're not going to talk about a lot here, but you know, the tight end could be a factor for whomever's throwing passes here. For sure. Yeah. I, I started with McBride. Um, he was definitely an intriguing prospect coming out and I, I would never write off a tight end after his rookie season. Cause we know tight ends generally struggle as rookies, but man, there, there's nothing for McBride's rookie season to be encouraged by. Um, he, you know, he barely hit the stat sheet while Zach Ertz was healthy last season. McBride had three catches over the first nine weeks of the season when Ertz was healthy over the final seven games for McBride, 25 catches, 234 yards and, and one touchdown. He was, you know, tight end nine and or tight end 19 in PPR points during that stretch. Still saw just a 12% target share though, and fared really poorly in terms of PFF receiving grade. He was 26th among 27 qualifying tight ends, 24th among those 27 in yards per out run. So he's going to need to take a, a big step forward to, to be someone that, you know, we're excited about in fantasy, which again is possible because we see tight ends take step forwards in their um, second year. I guess uh, uh, Mark in McBride's favor, I had sort of forgotten how productive Zach Ertz was before that injury, he was sitting third among tight ends in PPR points through week, uh, week nine last season, before he went down with that knee injury, he saw 19 and a half percent of Cardinals targets. Now, again, he, he's coming off that torn ACL suffered in week 10. That has a miffy for the start of the season. He turns 33 in November. So you know, despite how productive he was last year, I'm really not excited about Zach Ertz at all. Um, but I do think the fact that he was able to you know, garner that type of target share and be that productive is, you know, encouraging for Trey McBride if, again, he can, you know, make improvements in his second year. Yeah, and I'm basically throwing out McBride's rookie year. I mean, he was a rookie tight end who usually stank. It was a deteriorating offense under a bad coach who is gone. Uh, and it was awful quarterback play by the time he got on the field. So uh, I'm not judging anything from last year. I see a guy who was a second-round pick a year ago was a very productive receiver in college. Not excited about him, but somebody I'm interested in going forward. Our second team that we're talking about here is the Carolina Panthers. And, you know, we're talking about 
unexciting pass catchers, this is a hub for them this season. They brought in Adam Thielen. They brought in DJ Chark. They drafted Jonathan Mingo in round two. Terrace Marshall is actually their leading returning receiver from last year. He caught 28 passes. So there's not a whole lot to love. They also brought in a tight end. We'll talk about a little bit later. What do you think about these Panthers receivers first, though? Yeah, to me, the biggest reason it's unexciting right now is because we just have no idea what this wide receiver core is going to look like. I do think, you know, you have this, you know, rookie quarterback that we really like in Bryce Young, I think is capable of, you know, being a quality NFL guy, quarterback right out of the gate. We have a new head coach in Frank Reich, who I like as an offensive man. Like, I think he, he could help this Panthers offense take a nice step forward. But figuring out what this situation, what this wide receiver situation is going to look like is really tough. We have Adam Thielen, who got a three-year $25 million deal. That's like the biggest mark in favor of Thielen, because you look at his production last year, you look at some of the underlying metrics and th they weren't good. He, he's getting up there in age. So I do wonder about Thielen, but the Panthers obviously still believe in him to some extent. And I think that contract means he's, he's going to play a pretty big role, at least to start the season. DJ Chark also arrives on a one-year deal. He got $5 million. Um, then they, they draft uh, Jonathan Mingo with the 39th overall pick. So lots of new faces here. And again, the fact that it is a brand new coaching staff um, to me sort of makes this, this wide open. Yeah. And Jared, I'm going to look now to DS University and our primary draft pillar. The very first thing, if you look at our redraft rules, the first pillar, pursue value above all else. And that's the only thing that makes these guys in Carolina interesting. If we were talking about Adam Thielen as an athlete at this point, he's a declining receiver. He's going to be 33 when the season starts. You can look at his numbers from the past two seasons in Minnesota, and he's clearly on the decline. But as you said, the Panthers gave him a bunch of money and the GM said he's going to go a long way to replacing what we lost in trading away DJ Moore. Now, I don't think he's going to do so physically, but in terms of getting the target share that was going to DJ Moore, I think that's where Adam Thielen's going to fill in. If he was wide receiver 30 in ADP, I'd be like, yeah, well, we're going to pass on him because there's not a whole lot of upside from there. But he's going well into the 40s and even going behind Jonathan Mingo at this point in best ball draft. So from that standpoint, I'm in on Adam Thielen. Yeah, I think he's a, a, a prime case of where you need to weigh like floor projections versus ceiling projections, which you can find on draft charts. Because if you're interested in floor, which in some cases you should be, right? If you're just a 10 or 12 team contained fantasy league and you're yep. setting lineups and you know, you're going to have playoffs and all that, and you're not super, super worried about ceiling, I think Thielen makes sense. Now, if you're in one of these massive basketball tournaments like Underdog where you're trying to win, you know, two million bucks or whatever it is against half a million other teams and you care about ceiling, there's probably other guys in Thielen's ADP range that I'm more excited about. Do you have anybody in mind? Because I think, <laughs> no. you know, we're pri I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to give you a second to maybe check the ADP, but you know, yep. we're primarily in best ball season right now. And I'm still taking plenty of Adam Thielen, not like I got to put Adam Thielen on my roster because the upside is huge, but the range where he is going very low in wide receiver four and even into wide receiver five range. I'll take him as a wide receiver six, depending on how I'm building that roster. But he doesn't have the explosive upside, but he absolutely has the upside to give you six catches for 60 yards and a touchdown at any point. And I mean, that's not a weak winning number, but when we're just looking to put together a full lineup of producers every week, that's a guy who's going to make it into your lineup quite a bit, especially if we get into full PPR tournaments like on FFPC and drafters. Yeah, I pulled up underdogs ADP and the is wide receiver 64. Um, I think that's like 15 spots lower than we have in rank. So even here, I can't argue against him. I do think like guys going within 10 picks like Michael Gallup, I think has a higher ceiling and I'd take him. 
you're going to hate this one. I'd probably in, in a basketball tournament, I'd even take Jonathan Mingo ahead of Adam Thielen because especially in the second half of the season, I think Mingo ha- has a chance to, to be that the higher upside fantasy player. I would hate it if you told me I had to do it. I love it if you're going to do it because it just means I can wait and take Adam Thielen as the wide receiver 64. Jonathan Mingo was a slow build in college. I know that he's very athletic and he finished it with an exciting ceiling, but I don't have any reason to believe right now that he's going to be an immediate NFL producer. So I'm out on Jonathan Mingo as the first Panthers wide receiver in ADP. I'm out on DJ Chark because I just don't believe in him enough as a player to target him wherever he's going. I don't care about him. The Panther that I'm most in on, it gets back to that value, is Hayden Hurst because he's going beyond tight end two territory. He's going as a tight end three, even though the Panthers signed him for $21 million. (laughs) They're paying him $7 million a year over three years, he does not have to be a good NFL player to pay off at that level. He was a Bengal last year with much better wide receivers around him than are in Carolina. And Hayden Hurst finished 18th in target share among tight ends on that team. If he does that with this team, that alone is going to make him a value who's going to show up in my best ball lineups, who is okay as a stash, even in lineup setting leagues as a tight end too, because there's room for Hayden Hurst to be a 20, 22% target share guy on this particular Panthers team. And if he does that, he's got tight end 12, tight end 10, maybe tight end eight upside ultimately in PPR, just because of how little the Panthers have going for them this year. Yeah, I, I really don't want to turn into the, the Hayden Hurst site. I'll do he, it. He's so, he's so unexciting. But he, he's 17th in our tight end rankings, and he's tight end 26 and under ADP. So I do think he is a massive value. The other thing working in Hurst's favor on top of the contract that you talked about, Frank Reich has a, has a pretty nice history of utilizing his tight ends at an above league average rate. Um, now, that wasn't the case the last two years. But if you look at Reich's first seven years as an NFL head coach or offensive coordinator, his team's tight ends saw an above average target share in all seven of, the, of those seasons. And yeah, that could certainly be the case this year in Carolina with you know how many question marks there are at wide receiver. Now, to be fair, he did have Antonio Gates, Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz in that span. Nobody here is going to say that Hayden Hurst is in that class. But looking at what's around him, what we've already talked about, opportunity is obviously there. For sure. So let's move to team three and we've got the Green Bay Packers up. And I think this one is way more interesting than the two teams we've talked about so far. And Jared, I'm going to let you start out with the Packers pass catchers because I know that you are higher on Christian Watson than I am. Yeah. I mean, Christian Watson had an awesome rookie season. It's not the touchdowns he scored because, you know, 17.1% touchdown rate. That's obviously going to regress like that. That could be sliced in half. It's more the underlying stuff that has me really excited about Christian Watson. 2.26 yards per route run last year. That was 11th best league-wide among 80 wide receivers with 50-plus targets. It was also second best among last year's rookies behind Chris Olave, but ahead of Drake London and Garrett Wilson. Watson's yards per route run last year was the eighth best mark from any rookie wide receiver over the last 11 years. Then he, he also gave us a pretty nice target earning profile. So, he, he played 80% of Green Bay snaps or more in six games last season, 22.7% target share in those six games, a really nice mark from a rookie. And then if you look at targets per route run, Christian Watson, 24.4% last year, that trailed Drake London and Chris Olave, but was above Garrett Wilson, who was at 24.0%, also higher than Trey Burks, Jahan Dotson. Um, so just the, the profile that Watson gave us last year, 
obviously in a small sample, obviously with Aaron Rodgers. So those are the issues and those are probably the concerns you have heading into this year. But um, just what we saw from him last year and then going back to his just his pre-draft profile, a guy who obviously had upside coming into the league, right? Like we were all worried about the floor on Watson, but um, just what he showed last year has me pretty excited about for, uh, uh, him uh, heading into 2023. I am wary of jumping from being low on a player one year to being high on him the following year because of a span of success. Even if we look at the best span for Christian Watson last year, he ranked 30th among wide receivers in target share from week 10 on last year. His best stretch in that span for fantasy points was week 10 to week 13. He ranked wide receiver 32 in target share over that span. You already mentioned the quarterback. I mean, the efficiency is going to go down. He just finished playing with one of the best quarterbacks ever. I know that we didn't get peak Aaron Rodgers last year, but I'm going to go ahead and assume that even last year's version of Aaron Rodgers is better efficiency-wise at least than Jordan Love. So I'm going to assume some efficiency dip from Christian Watson. So we need a significant rise in target share. And that is the other issue that I think is introduced here. So ADP has Christian Watson inside of wide receiver two range, right about wide receiver 20, depending on exactly where you're drafting mid round four on drafters, which is full PPR. Look at his teammates, Romeo Dobbs, early round 12. That's eight rounds behind Christian Watson, Jaden Reed round 13, 14 turns. So I agree that Christian Watson is likely to be the top Packers receiver. Is he a dominant number one for them? Because that's what that gap in ADP says, that Christian Watson is the dominant lead receiver for the Packers, and these other guys are just supporting players. I don't think that there's really a good reason to believe that that's the case. I think what we were concerned about with Watson coming in is that he didn't look like the dominant number one target earner. He was a big play guy who definitely can produce on less volume than some other players. And I think that's what he showed us last year. And now we're like, oh, well, I'm not worried about those things because I've seen him do it in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, so um, the reason I'm not pounding the table too hard for Watson is because because of his ADP. You know, he's wide receiver 21 in ADP on underdog. That's exactly where we have him ranked. So I don't think he's just, you know, massive value. I think, you know, people are kind of seeing what I'm seeing from, from Watson last year. Um, but again, just looking at what he did, as a rookie and especially comparing it to, to Romeo Dobbs, you know, I, I do think Watson has a chance to be like the, the, the clear, you know, number one wide receiver, maybe, maybe not quite, you know, target hog levels, but I think like, you know, 23 to 25% target share is definitely within his range of outcomes. I'm not sure it is for, for someone like Dobbs. And 23 to 25 would be okay. Would give him a shot to pay off at his price. I don't, it, he would have to have strong efficiency to boost upside beyond that level though. And just to add some context here, if you do take Christian Watson around ADP and you know, for what it's worth, if you're drafting on underdog, fine, mix in some Christian Watson because playing in a best ball tournament with playoff weeks, that's absolutely the optimal format for him. He could have a disappointing season overall and still win you the tournament if he's big in week 17. So we'll get that out of the way, but overall, and then as we go toward lineup setting leagues, I think he's going to be far less attractive. And by the way, check the Draft Sharks rankings next week to see if he stays where he is in those current rankings. He is right behind Jerry Judy um, right now in ADP, a few spots behind Amari Cooper, less than a half a round of picks behind Amari Cooper. So to take Christian Watson, you basically have to take him over Jerry Judy and Amari Cooper or hope that he slides past ADP. He's ahead of Christian Kirk, Drake London, Terry McLaurin, Travis Etienne to go to running back, 
Mike Williams, DJ Moore, Chris Godwin, Marquise Brown is a round and a half behind Christian Watson. Deontay Johnson's behind that. Tyler Lockett's still on the board. Traylon Burks is two and a half rounds after Christian Watson. And I think he is an interesting inflection point, an interesting comparison player, because to me, the big difference between Traylon Burks and Christian Watson is that we saw Christian Watson stay relatively healthy and produce last year. We did not see that from Traylon Burks last year, but if we rewind a year, Traylon Burks was the first round pick that we all believed had big upside. Christian Watson was the second rounder that we were all wary of. So now the biggest difference is having seen it with one, not having seen it with the other. I still think Traylon Burks is the higher ceiling player. And if I can get him two and a half rounds later, that's only further incentive for me to pass on Christian Watson and get a very similar player um, later in the draft. Who I, like individually straight up yeah it's a tricky part right how, how to weigh um you know what we saw in one nfl season versus you know the, these prospect profiles coming in to the nfl um but i mean undoubtedly watson had a better rookie season than Traylon burke so i definitely think that matters um, and i do think they're, they're similar in the offenses that are going to be run leaning but you know both guys have a chance to you know, be the, the clear target leader on their team so yeah I, i'm with you burks is a better value i'm not arguing that um, i do think watson deserves to be going a bit higher in drafts um yeah, again, I think Watson's fairly priced. Like among the guys you mentioned, T- Tyler Lockett, I'm taking over over Christian Watson, but that's not even really a comparison because they're going like two rounds apart. Um, I do think Mike Williams deserves to be above Christian Watson, but otherwise, I, I again, I think Watson is kind of priced at least among wide receivers where he where he should be. I disagree, but we'll get into more of that as we um, talk through the rankings. So you can check those rankings now before we change anything, see exactly where Christian Watson is, see where the other Packers are right now, see if anything changes next week. Check it now, check it later, see if I get my way when we talk to the other guys and um, bring them into this conversation. Elsewhere among Packers, like I don't think there's a whole lot of arguing to do on Romeo Dobbs and Jaden Reed because they're going late enough that – If you want to pass on them, fine. If you want to take shots on them, fine. And we'll kind of see through the summer exactly what their roles are going to look like. Yeah, Dabs, by the way, also, like Watson, had six games last year with an 80-plus percent snap rate, basically full playing time. 18.7% target share for Dobbs in those um, six games, which is kind of like, you know, wide receiver two level, you know, number two NFL receiver level production, not wide receiver two fantasy level. that's not that far, Bottom. by the way, from the 22% for Watson. 22.7 for Watson. So, you know, four percentage points apart, which is significant. Not huge, but over six games. I don't know. That's pretty um, similar range. Yeah. And you know, Watson obviously also crushed Dobbs in, in yards per route run. Um, and then, yeah, Jaden Reed, it looks like he's, you know, has a clear path to, to the starting slot job in Green Bay, already running with the first team and, uh, you know, OTAs. In minicamp. And I, I was digging into the Packers too. And the Jaden Reed pick probably shouldn't have been surprising because the Packers lost their top three players in slot snaps last season. Randall Cobb, Alan Lazard, Robert Tunyon. Those were one, two, three in slot snaps for the Packers last year. So they obviously had a hole to fill. And I think they, you know, see Jaden Reed filling that, filling that hole right away. Yeah. I think he's going to have a hard time giving us much value in redraft. I certainly like Jaden Reed as I've talked about plenty for dynasty, the tight ends, no thanks for me on a team that has, that's relying on two rookie tight ends and a brand new quarterback. I'm just, I just want none of yep. them. Yep. Agreed. And then I guess we could talk about Aaron Jones as part of this. He's not, you know, we're talking basically receivers and tight ends, Aaron Jones, more of a receiver than most running backs. Yep. I'm a little bit wary with the Jordan love factor heading into the season, both from the receiving standpoint and from his touchdown upside. Me too, and I don't know exactly how much to weigh this, but 
from the first half to the second half of the season, we saw that the split in both playing time and usage shrink between Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. Actually, over the second half of the season, Aaron Jones averaged 3.8 targets per game. That was down one target um, from the first half of the season. And AJ Dillon was at 2.4 targets per game. So the gap, you know, wasn't that big, even as far as um, receiving, you know, passing game usage goes. So um, Jones isn't someone I'm, you know, aggressively targeting. I think he's fine at cost, but I'm, I, he's not a you know, big target for me in drafts right now. I'm not chasing either of the running backs, but between them, I'd rather have AJ Dillon because he's going at a, a much lower risk range yep. in best ball drafts. New Orleans Saints are the next team up here. And obviously Chris Olave is where you have to start with this group, a very impressive rookie season, wide receiver 13 now in PPR ADP coming off of that season. And Jared, that's something that you have to factor in as you talk about him because you know, everybody likes Chris Olave coming off of last season. So the question is, is he worth what you have to pay to get him on a redraft roster for 2023? Yeah, Lave was 27th in PPR points per game last year. So, you know, if you're taking him a wide receiver 13, you're expecting a big jump of fantasy production. Now, the easy way for him to jump is just scoring more touchdowns. He only scored four touchdowns and 72 catches last year. That's a 5.6% touchdown rate. Basically two percentage points below the league average for wide receivers. So there should be some positive regression coming for Olave in the touchdown department. Everything else from his rookie season was truly, truly elite as far as rookie production goes. Um, 28.5% target share in his 13 healthy games. 2.42 yards per route run, even better than Christian Watson last year. Olave's yards per route run last year, the fifth best mark among qualifying rookie wide receivers of the last 10 seasons. The four guys ahead of Olave on that list, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, Odell Beckham. So like I'm, I'm you know, all in on Olave being an awesome receiver. It's just you know, is this Saints offense going to support him as you know a top twelve, top thirteen type type fantasy producer? Yeah, and he's wide receiver twelve on underdog. Again, if you're drafting a bunch of teams into best ball tournaments with playoff weeks, you should mix in some Olave because he's going to be a big game guy, even if over the course of a season he lets you down along the lines of Christian Watson. But he was wide receiver 21 in target share last year, and that was with Michael Thomas missing nearly all of the season. It was with a very limited Jarvis Landry and with not much else behind those guys. The target share for Chris Olave did not grow after Michael Thomas went down, so he was in that wide receiver two, low wide receiver two range in target share. Now, he's the style of player that's going to deliver above average results. He should be strong on efficiency because of the yardage. Um, and especially with the quarterback upgrade, which we should be getting in Derek Carr. They threw a bunch of money at him. Clearly, they think it's a big upgrade over Andy Dalton, Jameis Winston. Yeah. And I would agree with that. But I don't like Olave where he's going, which is inside around two for best ball drafts. Probably going to be in a similar range as we get to lineup setting. That might be sometime in round three as opposed to late in round two where wide receivers are getting pushed up. But if Chris Olave is going right around that fringe of wide receiver one territory for setting my lineup, that's going to be somebody I'm not drafting very often. Yeah, he's tough. I mean, he even comes out lower in our you know, projections, our rankings than ADP. So you know, I'm definitely not like getting a ton of Chris Olave. He's also a guy I don't want to be you know totally out on just because how impressive his rookie season was. Um, not to spend too much time on the quarterbacks, but um, you know, I agree that Derek Carr is better than Andy Dalton if you look at the the span of their careers. I don't know how much better Carr is going to be than how Dalton played for the Saints last year. He had a 67% completion rate, 7.6 yards per attempt, a 4.8% touchdown rate. That's a bit above 
league average. So I, I'm not I'm not banking on the Saints getting like much better quarterback play this season than they got last year. It was there were quite large swings in how Andy Dalton performed, though. We would get uh, a few enormous games and some other true Andy Dalton ones. And we're coming off the worst season of Derek Carr's career. So it's a little bit tough to judge. I think just generally treating it as a QB upgrade. I'm not up. I'm not like boosting any Saints on that. And that's, you know, part of why I'm not chasing Chris Olave at his elevated price. But as long as we treat it as a slight upgrade, I think that's fair. Um, we talk about Chris Olave first because I don't think that the teammates are as big a factor on him for 2023 as just the expectations versus where he's going. Michael Thomas made it back for the start of last season and then quickly went down again with another lower body injury. It doesn't seem like it was related. It was a separate injury from the ankle that knocked him out for most of the previous two seasons. But nevertheless, another lower body thing. He also had a hamstring injury last summer that limited his practice time. So you have to factor that in with him going forward. You should bet on at least a solid target share for Michael Thomas whenever he's on the field. It probably doesn't have that monster target upside, though, that he did several years ago. It's probably Chris Olave leading the team in that category going forward. So that changes the evaluation on Michael Thomas. I don't think the ceiling is anywhere near what it used to be. I do think it's higher than his wide receiver 47 ADP in general right now. Yeah, but who knows what to make of Michael Thomas. He's played 10 games over the last three seasons. And he, he turned 30 back in March, too. So, you know, that that's starting to become a concern. Now, he, he was pretty productive in his three games last season. 57 yards and two touchdowns in week one. 65 yards and a score in week two. Five catches for 49 yards in week three. Um, that, that's all we got from him last year. He saw a 19% target share in those three games. I think, I think that's a pretty realistic level to expect from Thomas because I do think even in those first three games Chris Olave out-targeted Michael Thomas 29 to 22 and those were the first three games of Chris Olave's career so like I, I do think Olave's the clear one um if you can get you know 20 percent target share from Thomas somewhere in that range I do think you know he, he's okay at wide receiver 47 right I agree I, I, what's the ceiling wide receiver 30 maybe like wide receiver 26 certainly not higher than that I would say so it's somebody who's totally fine to be out on if you want to get some Michael Thomas at wide receiver 47 I think that's fine as well what are you doing with Michael Thomas though let us know in the comments on YouTube right now are you just buying in because you believe he's going to get back to pre-injury form I think you're crazy if that's the case but you know if that's what you believe let us know are you totally out we want to hear that too and if you want to talk about any of the upcoming Saints pass catchers, Rashid Shahid is next on the list of guys here. Jared, I like the speed. I think he's an intriguing player. I don't think that the situation is good enough, either in terms of volume upside or quarterback efficiency, to really make Shahid that interesting for 2023 fantasy leagues. Yeah, we should give Shahid a shout out for averaging 14.4 yards per target last year. That was the single best mark among any wide receiver with 30 plus targets over the last 10 years. And that's obviously going to take a, a massive, massive hit um, this season. I mean, ultimately he's a, he's a 180 pound former undrafted free agent. Like I, I just don't think he's a good bet. Maybe if Michael Thomas misses a, a bunch of time again, she could be useful. Even then it's probably only in best ball. I can't imagine him ever being someone we're comfortable starting in a, in a lineup setting league. Uh, but he, he's just there's there's other receivers I'd rather take shots on late in fantasy drafts. 
Agreed. You can stash him in Dynasty. That's fine. I just I don't see the path to to real worth in 2023. The tight ends would be more interesting if either of them was not on this team, too, or if this was a team that we could project for top 10 passing volume, at least as far as I'm concerned. The Saints, by the way, 25th, 30th and 26th in pass rate the past three years. Now, probably a little bit higher than that this year after paying Derek Carr uh, and paying Juwan Johnson and paying Foster Moreau. But they also paid Jamal Williams. They also drafted Kendra Miller in round three. So I don't think this is a team that's going to shift to a ton of passing. So Jared, Juwan Johnson, Foster Moreau, I'm not super interested in either guy. What about you? Me neither. I do think Juwan, Juwan, Juwan Johnson should be the first guy off the board in fantasy drafts, and he is by a pretty wide margin. Um, he finished – Juwan Johnson finished 17th last year in PPR points per game among tight ends, 13.7% uh, target share. That was 21st at the position. He ranked 14th among 32 qualifying tight ends in yards per out run. So it was a, a pretty nice season, you know, a fine season for a guy who, you know, might still be on the ascent. He's been, he's been pretty buzzy this spring. I know him and Derek Carr have been, you know, connecting quite often in these, you know, early summer practices. We'll see, you know, where, where that leads. But yeah, the Foster Moreau thing definitely um, adds risk to um, Johnson's profile. The Saints gave Moreau a, a three-year, $12 million deal. So it wasn't like this, you know, cheap one-year flyer thing. It was a, you know, pretty big investment for, for a guy who's, you know, coming back from, you know, what was it, lymphoma or whatever um, cancer diagnosis he had. So um, I, I do think Moreau is a potential problem for Juwan Johnson. And the Saints were among the leaders in multiple tight end sets last year. So we should see both of these guys on the field, which I think is another reason to not be excited about Rashid Shahid. Uh, Juwan Johnson is the receiver between the two. He spent a lot more time in the slot. So there is upside there. I just think that the playing time is going to remain limited. I don't think he's going to be a full-time player. He was about 65% last year. I think we're going to see something like that going forward. And he scored seven touchdowns on 42 catches. I mean, that was a big part of his fantasy value. I'm going to go ahead and bet against him having a 17% touchdown rate year over year. Yeah, good bet. On to our final team for this one. It is the, the New York Giants. And another team, you know, I think a lot of times, Jared, the reason that these teams are tough to project is that you look at the crew and it's a whole bunch of guys that you don't want to bet heavy on any of them. But we start with the wide receivers for most of these teams. I think you have to start at tight end with the Giants and it's Darren Waller. And that's the Giant that I'm most interested in. What about you? Yeah, the, the best bet to lead the Giants in targets this season. We haven't projected to lead the, the Giants in targets last season or this season. Waller, you know, Coming off a disappointing 2022 season with the Raiders, he missed eight games and, and really most of a ninth game with a hamstring injury last year. He was still tight on seven in PPR points per game in his healthy games. Um, just a 15% target share for Waller last season, but go back to the previous three years, 22.4% target share, 26.3%, 23.3%. So he's shown the ability to, you know, like dominate a, a team's targets, especially, you know, getting that type of share from a tight end is, is, you know, that's Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews type of territory. So he's shown the ability Waller has. And, you know, with this um, Giants pass catching core, how, how weak and how weak and how many questions there are in it, um, you know, Waller has, has a chance to see a, you know, 23, 24% uh, target share this season. Yeah, because of the wide receivers that we'll get to in a minute around him that are lackluster. He's tight end seven on underdog. He's tight end seven on FFPC. He is tight end six in our PPR and half PPR rankings. He is tight end five in projected points per game by our numbers. And I think that's important to look at because we haven't projected for 15 games. Now, 
the ceiling case, which you can see the ceiling projections on DraftSharks.com or on your screen on YouTube right now. The ceiling case here is based on that 15-game projection. I think ultimately if the, you know, the ceiling certainly includes him playing every single game, I think ultimately the ceiling for Darren Waller, if everything goes right for him, you know, if Daniel Jones plays well again because he played better last year than we had seen previously, if the offense keeps picking up in year two under Brian Dable, the, I think the ultimate ceiling is Darren Waller competing for one of the top spots among fantasy tight ends, top two, top three. Like even if Travis Kelsey, I don't know, got injured, had a down season for whatever mm-hmm. reason, Darren Waller, I think is one of the guys who could challenge to lead the position overall. if Everything breaks right for him. So that to me, you know, you look at our ranking versus his ADP, you might think, okay, you guys like him a little bit more. The reason I would push that up a little bit is I think the upside is higher for him than the other guys around him in the rankings. Yeah, well, I mean, just to put that 230-point ceiling in perspective, if he hit that number based on our projections, he'd be tight end three. You know, he'd be behind Travis Kelsey, about a point per game behind Mark Andrews, then it'd be Darren Waller. So I mean, e- even if Kelsey and Andrews have the seasons we expect them to have, I think you know Waller could could be your tight end three. So, yeah, he's definitely a guy I've um, kind of – warmed up to uh you know, i did think last year was a bit disappointing but looking back on it you know the hamstring injury i think was was you know the major reason for that so i, I do think his upside is um really as high as any tight end outside of kelsey and Andrews. and the concern with him is that the injuries just stay a problem it's been hamstring it's been knee you know it, that maybe that stuff's just going to factor in again if he were going earlier i might be less interested but at tight end seven uh, that's a bet i'm making especially when people are going to leave hayden hurst there for me as insurance later on uh, i can cover it so the wide receivers should be easier to talk about because they, they stink right now. We'll see if anybody can prove that they don't stink in the season. But let's just look at the ADP on these Giants receivers. Jalen Hyatt, looking at underdog ADP, Jalen Hyatt, wide receiver 70 as the top Giants wide receiver. Wandale Robinson, wide receiver 77. Isaiah Hodgins, 79. Darius Slayton, 86. Paris Campbell, 95. Sterling Shepard, 118. Now, Sterling Shepard, Jared, is not somebody I would draft in underdog or it's half PPR. Um, but I think he's interesting for PPR going forward as a very end of the draft guy, because whenever Sterling Shepard's on the field, the Giants, and it's been over a couple of staffs now, a very small look last year, but still a different coaching staff is like Sterling Shepard's a guy we want to have around, a guy we like in the locker room, a guy we like on the field uh, and is going to get some targets when he's on the field. Yeah, I just I mean it's tough to count on him and the giants obviously aren't counting on him because they went out and added what two slot receivers every this slot season receiver. in, in Paris Campbell and James Crowder after drafting Wondell Robinson last year. So, I mean, to me, I, I'm surprised at those ADPs because you know, our rankings have Isaiah Hodges and Darius Slayton as the clear top two giants receivers. I think those guys are, I'm not gonna say locked into the starting jobs, but like they're, they're the two Aspects. bigger, the two bigger outside receivers. Right. And J- I think Jalen Hyatt, can play on the outside. I think he's kind of the, the guy who can go inside and outside. These other guys are all pure slot receivers. So I'm not, I'm not excited about Hodgins or Slayton, you know, they're wide receiver 61 and 63 in our half PPR rankings. But I do think um, they're, they're pretty good bets to, you know, be close to full-time players this season. Um, if you look at their eight games together where they were both, you know, basically full-time players, 18 and a half percent target share for Isaiah Hodgins, about 17 and a half percent target share, for Darius Slayton. So again, th- those are, those are like wide receiver four, maybe, you know, fantasy type um, 
target shares, which is, I think is kind of the upside case for these guys. I don't think either of them have a chance to even be, you know, like top 30 wide receivers. Um, but I do think if you're, if you're, if you have a Daniel Jones team and you're looking for, you know, a wide receiver to, to stack him with, I do think Hodges is my favorite, but then Slayton is right, right behind him. Yeah. I agree with that on Daniel in a, in a Daniel Jones lineup. And even if you don't have Daniel Jones, if you're just in that range and you're like, I don't like anything at wide receiver. Take one of these giants because there's a path for any of these guys really to be the top scoring giants wide receiver. And like I said, they're all going in a range where if you want to bet on whomever, if Jalen Hyatt's your favorite, go for it. If Wondell Robinson's your favorite, go for it. Wondell Robinson's the one that I'm most out on because he's coming off the ACL. He is a shorter range guy. He probably needs target volume more than these other players to actually pay off with anything. So I'm totally out on him for 2023. Hodgins has been my favorite because we last year was our first look at him. He was buried in Buffalo and ultimately, you know, dropped from that roster and picked up by the Giants and then quickly worked into that lineup and was a big factor late in that season. His first, you know, semi season with this with the team, but he had been with Brian Dable in Buffalo before. So he knew yeah. him. The GM knew him. Not a new player for them. Darius Slayton, we've seen be good. We've seen be bad. So if I'm choosing between those guys, I want to bet on the guy that we've seen good from, more good from relative to the bad. But, you know, again, with where they're going, bet on whomever you want late. Yeah, and Jalen Hyatt, like I get the appeal because he, he's, he's fast and he can be a big play guy. Um, I, he, he just – he seems like a guy who's going to kind of like take a red shirt this year. I think he has a long way to go. He dropped to the third round, which was a surprise, and he had, you know, some mocks having him in round one. I, I just think, you know, he's, he's more of a 2024 guy for the Giants. Yeah. And, you know, maybe he's somebody that gets drafted in your league before you want to take him and then gets dropped by midseason. That might be somebody worth stashing. We'll talk more about that kind of strategy going forward, but uh, that might be something to watch for. It's certainly worth keeping in mind that he was a round three pick, went after Tank Dell in that round. So (laughs) this is going to be a situation where you're going to want to watch shark bites throughout the summer, because once we get to camp, we're going to be getting updates on these guys. We'll probably be evolving the rankings on them. We'll certainly be watching to see who is getting targets for now. That's going to do it for this show. If you like what you've seen or heard here today or any of the other shows, if you'll just like us in general, hit subscribe on the YouTube channel, give us a rating, give us a follow, you know, whatever platform you're using, do the thing there for us. We appreciate it. And of course, check out the full rankings on DraftSharks.com to see what we collectively think about all these players. Jared and I give our individual opinions on all of them while we're doing a show like this. But when it comes to the rankings, We get to a consensus. Not everybody's happy, but we get to one number that you get from the site, a clear projection of what we expect that guy to do, telling you where you want to draft him or not draft him, depending on the player. For Jared Smola and the entire Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 